All right, so good to be with you. So, again, before we read these texts, we'll start with the, the psalm text, Psalm 45, then we'll go to the Song of Solomon, and then we'll go back to Ephesians 5. But before we read those texts, let's, uh, re let's reset everything again and review. In our study of Ephesians, we are rejoicing in the fact that we are saved by grace through faith alone in Jesus Christ. So when it comes to salvation, faith is enough. <laughs> that faith in Jesus, that saves you. Now, so what? Now what? Well, with our lives, God has good use of us in many ways. And what we're learning from Ephesians 5 is God's good use of us in a, in a marriage. So if you're married, this is God's good use of you. If you plan on getting married, learn. Okay? So the works don't save you, but this is the, this is the life of faith in Christ Jesus as you live your life out on this earth. And as you, you live as husband and wife, you then are living doing good works. And they're good because they're done through faith in Jesus Christ. Now, some more remarks about the husbands. Remember, husbands are to love their wives as Christ loved the church and gave him up, up for her. We also learn from Ephesians 5 that Christ holied his bride, the church. How? Through the water, the washing of the water with the word. Baptism, Ephesians 5, 26. He presents her holy, blameless, spotless, etc., Okay, so you got Psalm 45? Look at verse, uh, let's look at verse. Oh, let's start at verse uh, 10. Verse 10. All right, even verse 9. Daughters of kings are among your honored women. At your right hand is the royal bride in gold of Ophir. Listen, O daughter, consider and give ear. Forget your people in your father's house. The king is enthralled by your beauty. Honor him, for he is your lord. Skip to verse 13. All glorious is the princess within her chamber. Her gown is interwoven with gold. In embroidered garments, she is led to the king. Her virgin companions follow her and are brought to you. They are led in with joy and gladness. They enter the palace of the king. This is talking about a wedding, Jewish wedding. Okay, got that? Okay, keep that in mind. Now go to the Song of Solomon, chapter 4, verse 1. And I guess I, how many of you ever studied this Old Testament book? Any of you? You used to have to be in the church, no joke, I'm not exaggerating. You used to have to be a certain age to be able to read this because of the, uh, the language used in it. <laughs> yeah, just read it and then you know what I'm talking about. Anyway, look at chapter 4, verse 1. How beautiful you are, my darling. Oh, how beautiful. Are you picking up what I'm doing here in Ephesians 5? Christ has holied his bride, the church, through the washing of water and the word, holy baptism. And therefore, she is now holy, beautiful, without spot, blemish, and she has splendor. So again, verse 1 of Song of Solomon, chapter 4. How beautiful you are, my darling. Oh, how beautiful. Your eyes behind your veil are doves. Your hair is like a flock of goats. Look at verse 2. Your teeth, some of you who raise sheep, you might kind of roll your eyes at this, but who knows. 
Your teeth are like a flock of sheep just shorn, coming up from the washing. Each has its twin, not one of them is alone. Verse 3, your lips are like a scarlet ribbon. Your mouth is lovely. Your temples behind your veil are like the halves of a pomegranate. Your neck is like the Tower of David, built with elegance. On it hang a thousand shields, all of them shields of warriors. Your two breasts are like two fawns, like twin fawns of a gazelle that browse among the lilies. All right? Now take your sheet that I've given you, the packet. Look at the first page again. So we look again starting at verse 25. Let's read it out loud together. You see that? Husbands, ready? Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor. Now, he presents her. Keep that in mind. Jesus presents his bride to himself. That's the opposite of what we read earlier. More on that in a moment from Psalm and Psalms and from Song of Solomon. Notice, without, keep reading with me, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing that she might be holy and without blemish. Now here's what I wanted to say because not enough is said about this. You might be saying, oh, Kuhlman, haven't you said enough? <laughs> I haven't. There's always more. The more you study the scriptures, the more it just keeps coming, the meaning keeps coming out. Which, which reminds me that I, I have to study the scriptures all the time. You might think that I don't need to study the scriptures anymore. Wrong. The more I study the scriptures, the more the Holy Spirit is at work in those scriptures and makes the meaning even fuller, if you will, all the time. It's just incredible. Watch how this works. It happens this way. So here's some more remarks on this text. That we just read. So Ephesians 5, the verses we just read, St. Paul tells us how Jesus then and his heavenly father see us, the church, his bride. Um, the, this passage from Ephesians 5 shows us how we, the baptized believers, we are now holy in God the Father's sight and in Jesus' sight, and it gives us a foretaste of our future beauty and splendor with the resurrection of the body and life everlasting on the last day. If you're wondering why I got that on the board, it's because sometimes it quits and I need to know if it quits the recording. So again, in Ephesians 5, Paul then describes how Christ transforms his bride, the church, through baptism. And so what he says about the church applies to all Christians individually and as a community. Christ has loved us so much that he sacrificed himself for us in order to cleanse us from all impurity and make us holy. He did all that so he could present his church in splendor or in glory, as Ephesians 5 teaches, without spot, without wrinkle, or any such thing, so that she may be holy and without blemish. So in Ephesians 5, Paul compares our baptism, listen carefully now, Paul prepares, Paul compares our baptism to the preparation of a Jewish bride for her wedding. Now usually, and still to this day with our weddings in America, 
Usually, the bride prepares herself or has someone come and do the makeup and the hair and the nails and all that kind of stuff, right? Okay. Uh, take, and and in, the, in a Jewish preparation, she would prepare herself by bathing, bathing her body, dressing it in a beautiful gown, and decorating it with expensive jewelry. In this bathing, etc., dressing, she would then be helped by her attendants. Okay? Now notice who's doing the verbs there. She's doing it to herself with the help of the attendants. Got it? Don't forget that. Then, after the Hebrew bride has been properly prepared, notice then she, as we read from the Old Testament, from Psalm 45, she presents herself to her groom and his attendants in the marriage ceremony. But in Ephesians 5, in Ephesians 5, with Christ's marriage to his bride, the church, notice she does not prepare herself. Did you notice that? I don't know if you did, but I wanted to make that point. She does not prepare herself. The church does not present herself to Jesus. Rather, it's the opposite. Jesus, the bridegroom, he first prepares his bride, how? Well, as the text says, by washing her with the water and the word. And he's the one, through that, who dresses her and then adorns her. He then presents her to himself. He does this all to honor her because he loves her and he wants her to feel lovely. Jesus is the one who makes her beautiful and Jesus shows her how much he admires her. So on the one hand, with, with Jewish weddings, it was the bride who did all the preparation, and she would present herself. But with the true marriage, Christ and his church, it's the opposite. Jesus does all the preparation. Jesus is the one who lovelies her, beautifies her, and presents her to himself. Do you see the difference? It's flipped. Now let me say some more things about this. How does the Jesus then again prepare his bride for union with him? He transforms her completely, as Ephesians 5 teaches. On the one hand, Jesus deals with all that is unsightly and ugly in her, namely his bride, the church. And what does he do? He covers up all her unpresentable features with his purity and his righteousness. He is the one who removes every spot, every wrinkle, every blemish from her body. On the other hand, he is the one who adorns her with his own holiness and his glory. He is the one who makes her holy by sharing his holiness with her. And that's piggybacking on what we talked about last week. He is the one, Jesus is the one, who makes his bride, the church, glorious by filling her with his glory or with his splendor, depending on the translation that you have in your Bible. Now, why does Jesus present his bride to himself? Because in Jewish weddings, she presents herself to the bridegroom, but it's flipped with Jesus. Why does this happen? Jesus doesn't put her before his face in order to assess her critically. Now, I know how guys work, because I'm one of them. And when guys look at gals, they look at girls 
to assess them critically. Don't we? Yes, we do. I, I fill in the blank. Whether it's body type, height, color of hair, eyes, shape, doesn't matter. We're always doing, and, and women do it to themselves 24-7, 365 as well, don't they? Yes, they do. <laughs> That's just a side note. But again, the main point I'm making here at this point is this. Is Jesus stations his bride before his face not to critique her, but rather to do what? To present her to himself to show his full approval of her. Namely, that he is delighted in her. It's just like in Genesis. When God brings Eve to Adam, Adam doesn't say this. Well, <clears throat> you know, her hair is a little bit, uh, you know, her top shelf, uh, you know, and down. Uh. No, he doesn't do that. He says what? At last, at last, bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. He rejoices in her. So Adam, when he sees Eve, does not critically judge her. He receives her as gift. So also the Lord Jesus Christ in treating his bride, the church. So Jesus, just as he has made his bride, the church, righteous by declaring her righteous, so Jesus makes his bride, the church, beautiful by declaring her to be beautiful. So, like the lover in the Song of Solomon, chapter 4, verse 1 that we just read, he says, Behold, you are beautiful, my love. And as he parades her before himself, Jesus looks at his bride in loving admiration. The bride is perfect in Jesus' eyes. Jesus enjoys the sight of his bride, the church, and he wants her to enjoy, listen carefully, to enjoy his love and his care. Now, why did I do all this with you? This is setting the table for today and most likely next week. Because as we look from Ephesians 5, wives submit to your own husbands as to the Lord, Ephesians 5 says. And, not, and in everything, the text says, in everything. So husbands then are to model this kind of love that Christ has with his bride, the church. Okay, And that's why a woman then can submit to her husband in everything. More on that in a moment. Okay. Any questions so far? I'm going to explain this sub submitting in a minute, but hang on tight. Any questions so far about what I've just done with you? Hey, Pat. Yes, please. Talking about the Hebrew women, they were like adorning themselves. They had to have, like, basically, look luscious or whatever the case may be. And there's all this spiel about what they looked like, how they were, and everything. But there was a lot of this, uh, how, how to make it like they had these, the lips of this, the body of that, and they're, they're trying to explain what they look like, but in Ephesians it doesn't say anything like it. It doesn't go into any of this type of, you know, uh, you have to have this, you have to be like that. Like, it's just, he just, God just takes the church and makes it holy. That's right, for Christ's sake. So again, the bride of Christ, the church, so that's individually us as believers and corporately as the church. We are beautiful in God the Father's sight and in Christ's sight. Why? Because we are holy and beautiful because Christ has given us his beauty, his holiness, his righteousness. And it's never our own. It's always his. Anything else? No, sir. Yeah. Now, see, Americans are, I'm speaking in general again, you know, I'm Captain Obvious all the time, but Americans are so concerned about outward appearance. Okay. And to a certain extent, you know, you can sympathize. So, 
the church, humanly speaking, looks quite ugly. Really, talk to unbelievers or talk to people who have quit the church. And they'll tell you all oh, the ugliness of the church, the bride of Christ. I said, humanly speaking, she looks like she has tons of blemishes. Right? Blemish after blemish after blemish. Right? Okay? That's from a human perspective. So you have to listen to the word of God. How does God the Father view the bride of Christ? Holy, for Christ's sake. See? Now, we will only see this with our eyes on Resurrection Day. Now we have to simply trust this. That's why in the creed, we don't say, I know the Holy Christian Church. How do we say it? I believe. I believe. That's how the creed puts it. Because as Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5, we live now by what? <coughs> Faith and not by sight. Okay. Anything else? All right, then go to page 4 of your sheet on your packet. So, we observed last week that in Ephesians 5, the love verb is the husbands. The verbs with the women, the wives, are submit and respect. Now, we observe, however, from other parts of Scripture, like, for example, Titus chapter 2, that the older women are to teach the younger women to do what? Do you remember? To love their husbands. So, I repeat this. So a lot of people today in America, and rightly so, talk about, I want to be a Titus II kind of woman. Seriously, there are tons of young women who say, I'm a Titus II woman. And they're talking about what I'm just referring to. So again, in Titus II, Paul says that in the church, the older women are to teach the younger women how to love their husbands. Now, what I've got on page four are some suggestions of how this can be done. So I'm at the middle of the page underneath the bad cartoon. So here are some concrete sins, however, that many older women can teach younger women to avoid or to repent of so that love for their husband can grow. Okay. Now again, can we flip this and can this also apply to husbands? Yes, but today we're talking about wives, okay? So number one, watch out for your hurt feelings. Because hurt feelings can turn into bitter selfishness. Namely, uh, it's all about me versus a love that does not seek its own. 1 Corinthians 13, verse 5. Number two, what do you fear? What is it that you fear? Um, seriously, children, I'm again making a general statement, but if I take away this... From the junior high, even the grade school, even the, the kindergarten, all the way up to, to seniors in high school. If I take this away, that is their greatest fear in their life. Their life ends if I take this away. <laughs> but you see, what do you fear? What do you fear above all things? And for a lot of people, it's losing this. If my life would end if I lose this. You know, if I'm out fishing and it falls in the water, I'm done. My life's over. You know? Or if I'm in the golf course and lose it, it falls out of the cart. My life's over. Okay. So what do you fear? Number two, fear instead of trusting God and his word for your life, ladies. So what are you afraid of? Why do you let the fear of things that you can't control in your life? I've learned something, and I'm, I'm still learning it. You can only control what you can control, right? So listen to the apostle Peter. He says in 1 Peter 3, you ladies are Sarah's daughters if you do what's right and do not give way to... Fear. Third, criticism. 
So ladies, uh, part of, be aware of this, criticism. Because a critical heart always does what? It always tears down. And let's not forget that when you read the New Testament, especially Paul's letters, especially first letter to the Corinthians, the second letter to the Corinthians, Paul is especially concerned about the church being edified and not torn down. Similarly in a marriage. So whether it's husband with his wife or wife with the husband, one of the big things is criticism. And it tears down the marriage. Let me finish that paragraph. A critical heart always tears the husband down by doing what? It focuses only on what he does wrong versus encouraging him in what he does well. So how many times have you heard a husband complain? And I have. I have as a pastor. I've heard if I had $1,000 for the time I heard this, I could have retired a long time ago. The husband tells me I can't do anything right in this woman's eyes. Everything I do is wrong. So what I'm saying, ladies, be careful about always being critical. That does not edify, usually. Okay. And by the way, I'll make this remark. It's a tangential one. But sometimes, sometimes you can be critical and be positive. Okay? You all know that. And you can be doing this, and it could be harmless in your mind. But when he hears it, he doesn't hear it the way you intended, you see, and vice versa. So you have to be aware of that as well. So um, Proverbs 14 says, the wise woman builds her house, doesn't tear it down, in other words, with her own hands. The foolish one tears it down. Now, the fourth thing to, to watch out for is judgmentalism. And it's this, where you try and you judge and you convict and you sentence your husband and you never talk to him about it. Or it goes like this. You said that to hurt me. You need to ask, ladies, instead of accusing or judging motives. Now, these might be Captain Obvious things, but they have to be said. Okay? Let's go to page five. Any questions about some of those things? So, again, as, as we, to quote Kelly Clarkson and her video that we watched a few weeks ago, nobody's a picture perfect. Okay? We, don't ex we won't be perfect until... Resurrection Day. So, as we live together in holy marriage, or as if you're preparing to live in holy marriage, you need to realize that the one you're marrying, or the one you're married to, is a sinner just like you, and that both of you need to confess, absolve each other, and then live a better life according to God's word. Okay? So, page five. Why, why would we need to have that Kelly, whatever, <laughs> tell us that no, not everyone's present to me? That's like Captain Obvious. You know, we all know that. Nobody in this world, I think, believes that they're perfect. You know, I don't think that's possible. You can't possibly believe that. Well, if you don't, you rationalize. There are. You know, I mean, you rationalize. Well, in, in a normal world, yes. But I've observed over the years, the yes in marriages, that, that's exactly what happens. I didn't do anything wrong. He no, does perfect. I'm not talking about perfect now. I'm talking about okay. sort of whatever made a mistake. I'm talking about I am perfect. You know, I mean, so like you can't, there's nobody who's going to say that. It's impossible. Well, perfection is impossible. I'll grant you that. I'll grant you that. Here's how it goes sometimes, Mike. Um, I ain't as bad as you. That's how it usually gets expressed. I'm not perfect, but I'm not as bad as Mike Navarrete. That's how it usually goes. Is that positive criticism? <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm just trying to work together. <laughs> Let's talk later. You come over for a scotch later and we'll talk. Uh, Glenn Fredage. Okay, you bring it. 
All right, then how? I have got some suggestions and on page five. I, so on page four, I gave you some things to watch out for. Page five are some suggestions on how you can learn to love your husband according to Titus 2. So have tender thoughts about your husband, ladies. And it's the Philippians 4 verse 8 kind of thoughts, which goes like this. Whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent, if anything is praiseworthy, you need to think about those things. So what I'm trying to say is your thoughts affect how you feel about your husband. So are you in love with him? All right. So when you see him then, think what is positive about him. It might be a smile. It might be his shoulders. It might be his hands. And let, let your tongue loose and tell him that you love him. By the way, men need to hear that too. Ladies need to hear it, but men need to hear it as well. And in addition, I would suggest when you pray, pray that God will give you a sentimental, tender, romantic, physical love for your husband. Two, again, this is in the way of Titus 2, learning to love your husband. Cultivate tender behavior toward him, namely prize him. And as Ephesians 5 said, respect him. No one, I mean this, I'm not exaggerating here. No one, ladies, that includes your parents, that even includes your children, that even includes your friends. No one in your earthly life is more important to a wife than her, da-da-da, her husband. All her orientation is to be directed toward him. So Eve was created for who? For Adam to be his helpmeet. Now I'm going to tell you a true story. So my good friend growing up in high school or all through school was Lyle Hunt. And Lyle Hunt married his high school sweetheart, Bonnie. I played the organ at their wedding. Okay? Guess what? That marriage didn't last very long. One of the reasons why it didn't last very long is because Bonnie's life was not oriented to her husband as wife. Her life remained completely oriented to somebody else. Mom. 24-7, 365. Now, don't misunderstand what I'm saying. I'm not saying that you have to cut mom off completely, can't talk to her, can't have a relationship. I'm not saying that. What I am trying to say is that if your entire orientation in life is towards somebody else than you're married to, guess what? And I'm going to exaggerate to make my point. The husband meets somebody at the gas station and is gone. <laughs> now, I know this sounds radical, but it is. Because radi radical, the word radical comes from the Latin radix, which means the root. Root. I'm getting to the root of things. I mean really radical here. Going to the very root of everything. So... <laughs> helper so that he can perform his tasks. Men are oriented to doing things, the task. So she is oriented to him. So wives, you're your husband's helper. 1 Corinthians 11 says, man did not come from woman, but woman from man. Neither was man created for husband, but woman for man. Now don't miss, that doesn't mean that women are inferior. Both are created in God's image. Okay? And they are both to be honored. But there is a matrix in a marriage. Just like there's a matrix in civil society and in the church. There is order. Okay. That's why Adam was created first. Eve was created second. Three. <coughs> oh, I, I want to finish uh, two. Pardon me. 
So wives are created for their husbands. Serving and supporting him, ladies, is your life calling. Now, I think you can begin to understand why, why what I've just said here today is so T-Rex. <laughs> what do I mean when I say T-Rex? Nobody talks, that's extinct. What I just said is extinct in the church. Nobody talks like this anymore. I'm exaggerating to make my point. And I think on the one hand, now you can begin to understand why things have changed so much in our society in America because we've had things called first wave feminism, second wave feminism, and another wave of feminism. If you're interested in that, do a Google search. Okay? Where what I've just said is anathema. Anathema means damned. Women are, seriously, I'm, I think it's safe to say that women are not taught what I'm teaching you here today. Wives are not taught this. <laughs> now, I'm not doing this to critique. I'm doing this to help and to edify. You understand? Okay. And where we need to repent, we repent. And we need to use Jesus properly for forgiveness. And then use these words from Scripture properly to lead better lives. So let me continue. Pastor? Yes, please. Well, I thought the older women were supposed to teach the younger women. And so it's not the younger women's fault that they're not being taught by the older women. Okay, your, your point's well taken. Well, join the, join the club. As a pastor, join the club. <laughs> well, that, that's certainly one way it could be done, but that's not the only way it can be done, however. Okay? The point is service. The point is service, and where you're oriented. Okay? Where, where is your heart and your mind? Where is it all oriented? That's my point. And that can be manifested in various ways. Now, see, my grandparents grew up in a whole different era. I don't help very often with cooking and stuff, but I try and help a little bit with the kitchen, dishes, that kind of stuff, you know. And I tease Robin sometimes when I do the dishes. Run away, Robin, you know. <laughs> he asked me if he could help cook. I said, no, I'm good. Yeah, good, great. But, you know, my grandparents, I mean, my grandfather, here he was at the table, and Grandma did everything. And Grandma was the last one to eat. And we'd say, Grandma, sit down. Sit down and eat, why don't you? And, and everybody's almost done with the meal. Grandma hasn't even eaten yet. And Grandpa Coolman's still said, I need something. And we'd laugh. We'd just laugh. But you see, she didn't mind because he loved her with a love that we could all learn from. And Robin witnessed that because she got to know them really well. It wasn't that he was acting as the boss. It was just... They're, they're, they, were, they were oriented to, an, uh, to each other in this Ephesians 5 way. And that was exhibited that way. Okay. All right, so once children come, oh boy, now let me tell you another story. So, <clears throat> okay, so marriages crash and burn. Seriously, they crash and burn when the wife and the mother tells the husband, my life is now about these children now. Now again, don't misunderstand what I've just said. I'm not saying that the wife is not to be oriented towards her children. I'm not saying that she has to ignore them. But my point is, is that if the wife categorically says and then acts that you don't matter to me, but these people do, he meets somebody at Walmart and he's gone. <laughs> All right, so let me continue. Thank you, Tony. I guess that's, that's okay. 
So the wife needs to guard against this. The husband, what I'm trying to say is the husband is to be the absolute center of her heart and care. Dad comes first. And ladies, this is one of the best ways to serve your children. Because you're modeling the biblical example to them of what it means to be a helpmeet to your husband. So the wife should never give the, the, the husband the impression that the children are more important than he. So my point is this. Does your husband feel prized by you? Does he feel, feel valued by you above every other earthly relationship in your life? No other earthly relationship should rival the relationship that you have with your husband. And we can flip that and say the same thing with the husbands to their wives, okay? But again, we're focusing on the wives today. Three, cherish him. Remember, love and cherish from the wedding vows? We're all aware of that. And what does it mean to cherish? It means to hold him dear to your heart, to tenderly care for him, to nurture him, showing daily expressions of compassion and care, which concludes, this isn't exhaustive, okay? Praying for him. Do you pray for your husband, ladies? I beg you, you gotta do that. He needs your prayers. Because there's another reason. You know him better than anybody else in the world. There's a public face to your husband. There's a private face. There's a public life. There's a private life. What I'm trying to say is you know him better than, any, than the public does. That's my point. So you need to pray for him. Listen to him. Identify with his feelings and concerns. Show sincere interest in what interests him. And encourage him. Thanking him for what he does for you and for the family. And physically express your love. And verbally tell him that you love him. Four, enjoy him. Again, this is all in the Titus 2 kind of way of learning how to love your husband. I'm offering these suggestions. So enjoy him. Love being with him. And then let him know it. Enjoy being your husband's helper. Take great delight in helping him. Five, I would suggest that you take an interest in what is important to him. If he loves to read, for example, then get out a book and read with him. If he's passionate about a certain topic, learn it, support, and flip it. Same thing with husbands and wives. It all applies vice versa, okay? Now, you're all panicking, aren't you? <laughs> you're saying, oh, my word, how can I do this? And as Mike has pointed out, we're not perfect in this because we're sinners. We have this old sinful nature hanging around us. So, next paragraph. The Lord will help you. Will you be perfect? No, but he'll help you. Second Corinthians, Paul says this in chapter 9. God is able to make all grace abound to you so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. My point is this. Don't be glass half empty. Be glass half full. Trusting the Lord to do, or to put it this way, to have good use of you as wife for your husband. And you can flip it. So don't be so pessimistic. Be positive and trust the Lord. All right. Any questions? All right. Now, Tom, please. When a young couple come to you and ask you to marry them, what do you sit down and visit with them about, first thing, and most important to you in their getting married? First thing is... Good. I'm glad you want to be married because a lot of people don't want to be married anymore. I'd say thanks be to God. Second thing is what I'll do with you is we're going to learn from God's word what marriage is and how to live within it. I want to help you in that. 
In other words, God has, in other words, God's going to talk to you through his word and say, this is marriage, this is my gift to you, and we're going to learn from God's word how we are to use that gift and live in holy marriage together properly. That's what I do right off the bat. And then we just do stuff like what I'm doing right now with you guys. We look at these passages. Genesis 1, Genesis 2, Ephesians 5, Matthew 19, etc., etc. Does that answer your question? Yeah. Good enough. And there, there are times when sometimes Pastor Kuhlman has to ask a couple to repent. They may be, they may be uh, not living in a God-pleasing way. And Pastor Kuhlman may, may have, in the course of the classes, Pastor Kuhlman will have to ask the, the hard question. Now tell me, is what you're doing pleasing to the Lord? And usually when I ask that question, it's goodbye. See ya. Then they just go down Highway 50. Or go to Plattsmouth, White Church on the way to, they'll go there. Or to town. <clears throat> they, they misunderstand the question. What I'm trying to do is help them to repent. And ask Jesus for forgiveness. And then say, now I want to live differently. I want to live in a God-pleasing way. I, I wanted to say that too. Now, Ephesians 5 says that wives are to submit to their husbands as to the Lord. I'm reading on page 6 now. Ladies and gentlemen, those are the most scandalous words in the Bible to our American ears. Because I hear this, submit, I will submit to no one. There are bumper stickers on American cars that say what? This very thing, I submit to no one. Have you seen those? Oh yeah, yeah. Remember I told you the story about a young couple that, remember? They wanted to be married. And Tom, here we go again. We studied this text. And the young lady told me, I will not submit to him. I will not. And over the course of, I said, well, let's think about it. And I tried to explain it. So over the course of a long time, she kept at it. I will not submit to him. And I finally had to say, and it wasn't a na 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 But it was in love. It was in love. If you won't submit to him, then you're not ready to be. That's right. You're not ready to be married. Guess what? See ya. Goodbye. I don't know what happened to that marriage. My guess is probably crashed and burned. In any event, hardly anyone knows what this term submit means in the Bible, and most especially here in Ephesians 5. Let's not forget, it's not only in Ephesians 5, it's in Romans chapter 13. Citizens are to submit to the governing authorities. Hebrews 13, congregation members are to submit to the authority of the pastor. Now again, having said that, you're probably panicking. So you're probably saying, so I have to do everything the pastor could? No. No. What's the authority of the pastor? It's the word of God. That's it. So again, my, my ridiculous example is if we're at a voters meeting here at Trinity, and we're, we're, we're going to get rid of this carpet in here and all throughout the church, and we've got three factions, brown, red, green. And we're all upset. There's three factions in this congregation about what color this carpet's got to be. And then finally, the chairman of the congregation looks at me and says, well, pastor, what do you think? And if pastor stands up at the voters meeting and says, that carpet's got to be red, and if you don't vote to have it red, you're out. Do I have the authority to say such a thing? I do not, because that's not, God's word doesn't say that. I don't have that authority. And that would, the, the chairman at that point would, would say, sit down and shut up, Reverend. You're out of line. And rightly so. <laughs> Let me give you another example. Um, if, I, if I don't remember this example correctly, correct me. But it was the first Christmas we were here. The knock was on the door, 
the altar guild was decorating for Christmas, and the question at the door was, Pastor, can we put tinsel on the Christmas tree? And I was dumbfounded. What? Who said you couldn't put tinsel on a Christmas tree? Well, one of the former pastors we said here said we couldn't. And I said, you're free to put whatever you want on the Christmas tree, tinsel included. Now, I don't know if you're Rodney Dangerfield. Maybe, maybe it's, you know the old Rodney Dangerfield joke? <laughs> maybe they were so poor. You know, Rodney Dangerfield's joke was that he was so poor when he grew up, they had to wait for Grandpa to sneeze to have tinsel on the tree. <laughs> now, you understand my point? All right. So... What I tried to do is, to, in, what I, not very well, is that all three estates, the church, the family, and civil society, that verb is listed. Citizens submit to the governing authorities. Church members submit to the authority of the pastor, which is the word of God. And wives are to submit to their husbands as to the Lord. Now, finishing that paragraph. We give our own definitions of that term or verb, but they don't come close. Namely, Here's what we think Paul means. I have to do everything he says now, Reverend? Do what I say, woman. That's what the man says, because the Bible says you have to submit to me. And we misunderstand the point. We think only in terms of power, manipulation, and control. If you think like that, you're dead wrong. You're disastrously, hellaciously wrong. Because first, to submit is to order your life in a certain way. So, ladies, when you said yes to your man's wedding proposal, you, you, you willingly agreed to do what? To now order your life in a different way, which is I'm not going to be a single woman anymore. I will be wife to this man for my life. Okay? Second, to submit also means that you as wife will live like the church. By being passively receptive to his love, his care, his giving. Third, to submit means to deny all selfish desires by loving and serving your husband. In other words, you will be like Christ to your husband by living sacrificially for him. Now notice too that the text says that you are to submit to your husbands as to the Lord. What does as to the Lord mean? It means this, is that Christ is hidden in your husband to care for you. Just as Christ is hidden through you to care for your husband. The point I'm making is the Bible teaches that Jesus isn't just sitting up in heaven twiddling his thumbs. Jesus is active on this earth in all three of those estates I mentioned. We're talking about marriage. So in the estate of holy marriage, Christ is actively at work in a marriage using both husband and wife to care for one another. And so wives then will order their life to a husband just as they do to the Lord. And as the husband does too, by the way. He orders his life to the Lord Jesus Christ as well. Or should. Now, again, having learning all of these things, you're probably saying, well, I'm not perfect. That's right, we're not. We're not. So what's the point? Repent, receive forgiveness, Etc. Okay. Any questions so far on that? All right, page seven then. So the submission of the wife to her husband is fulfilled as she receives his sacrifice of himself for her and in her respect for him as the head of the marriage. Bottom line, the purpose of the wife's submission is for her to order her life so that she will be in a position or order 
to receive her husband's love. Now, there are times when husbands don't do this, right? They're very unfaithful in, in showing love to their wife and their family. And then things go bad, okay? So warning, husbands don't abuse this Ephesians 5 text that says, wives, submit to your husbands. Because the purpose of every vocation is love and service. And through the vocations we are given, God promises to be present and active through that love and service. So the wife fulfills her divine calling by loving and serving her husband. Again, submission is simply ordering her life in this way as wife. So, you got this? What does it mean to submit, ladies? It means I'm ordering my life now as wife, just as a citizen orders his or her life as a citizen. I hope this is helpful. Any questions? What's well, a good time to stop then, if there aren't any? All right, let's pray the Lord's Prayer. 